To start out this morning, uh, I've got some, some ads that were placed, some actual ads that were placed and, and kind of either misspelled or left out a word and it kind of changed the meaning of the ad. I thought they were kind of funny. The first one is, is this, found dirty white dog, looks like a rat, been out a while, better be a reward. Okay, the second one, auto repair service, free pickup and delivery, try us once, you'll never go anywhere again. German Shepherd, 85 pounds neutered, speaks German, free. <laughs> free for a dog that speaks German? That's crazy. Uh, dog for sale, eats anything and is fond of children. <laughs> and then I think this is the last one. The Superstore, unequaled in size, unmatched in variety, unrivaled in convenience. Yeah, I know some of those stores. I bet you do too. Uh, inconvenience is so inconvenient sometimes, isn't it? Um, can you think of a time when you reacted in a not so good way to something that was inconvenient for you? Uh, my wife is quick to proclaim the name Walmart and paper sacks when I say something like that. Some of you know that story. I'm not going to retell it, but... Some of those moments in time when I just am indulging in the sin of entitlement and I am inconvenienced, my reaction is, as another person told me about themselves, this person said, she called me unchristian. That's how I act sometimes. That's how we act sometimes on the basis of of inconvenience and we're finding in the book of Jonah that this call that God put on Jonah's life was rather inconvenient for him it it confronted him with things in his own life it was a mirror into who he was his response his reaction to what God called him to do was a mirror into what he cared about who he cared about and we're going to find that more as we continue in the book of Jonah this morning. Last week, we tackled the first three verses. If you would, in your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jonah. And I'll reread those first three verses for everybody that wasn't here last week. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 
He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And as we saw, um, Nineveh was 550 miles from where Jonah lived. That was going to be quite a trek anyway. But instead, he goes to Joppa, jumps on a ship to go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. He's trying to get away from the Lord. Then verse four, continuing through the rest of the chapter, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Yahweh, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, before we go on with the point and before you look away, I want you to look in that passage, and I want you to see in your English translation the word Lord in all caps, small caps, Lord. That is the direct translation of the word Yahweh, God's name for himself, I am not some other God, not God little g, not even Lord as sort of they would refer to a, a, a servant's uh, Lord as the, that, the, the one who had control over their life. This is Lord Yahweh, the one and only God, the creator of the universe. More on those pagans here in a few moments. As we look at this passage this morning, uh, we're going to look at it from three different perspectives, from three different views. It's as if we're filming a movie and there's three different cameras on three different areas. The first one we're going to look at this morning is the pagan sailors. I want to look at the pagan sailors. These, these men were probably Phoenicians. They were the sailors in that day, in that part of the, the neighborhood. They were of Canaanite descent. They were actually related distantly to the Israelites, but they were polytheistic pagans. They believed in all kinds of gods, all kinds of gods for all kinds of things. They were traders and merchants. They were skilled sailors, um, masters of the sea. One article that I read said they knew how to run a ship. They knew how to battle bad seas. Um, and, and we are told in this passage that these 
seasoned sailors were afraid. They were terrified. This is a storm uh, likely out of season. You know, they had a stormy season and a, a calm season. And this storm was something that they had never seen at this time of year before. It was, it was like nothing. They were terrified. It was obviously huge. And as polytheistic pagans, they had a God for every time, every trouble, every place, every geographic location. And they began crying out to those gods. Um, they each probably had different ones because they were probably from different areas, had different perspectives on life. Um, each cried out to their own God. They were grasping at straws. And whichever straw they could think of that might help, they cried out to it. Begging for intervention to save their lives. And though their focus was entirely wrong, they were at least putting forth effort. They were given this saving of the ship a shot. They were actively seeking an answer to their impending demise, contrary to Jonah, who was deep, fast asleep in the belly of the ship in more ways than one. These sailors did everything they could to save the ship. They, they tried lightening the load and tossing as much cargo over, at, which was probably their reason for going to Tarshish. I mean, spare no expense. They were chucking anything that wasn't bolted down, screwed down, tied down, trying to lighten the ship in the water so that the waves wouldn't crash over the top of it. And out of options, it says, interestingly, that the captain goes, goes down below the ship to wake up Jonah himself. I don't know, maybe one of the other sailors mentioned to him that, well, there is this guy left down, down in the, the basement of the ship down in the bottom of the ship who's sleeping, he could probably help us. He, he hasn't obviously called out to his gods yet. Maybe, maybe we could get him to do that. So the captain himself goes down there and he asks him to join in the calling out to his God. I mean, maybe his God could save them. I'm sure the captain was thinking. They're doing everything that they can think of, including, including casting lots, and we'll get to that in a few moments. Ironic, isn't it? Think about this that a bunch of pagans who have been living their lives, who knows how, are the ones trying to motivate the one guy on the ship who is in relationship with the one God who can actually save them. It's the pagans who are encouraging the Christ follower, the prophet of God, to actually call out to God to save them. And he's asleep. He's asleep. He, he actually knows and serves God, at least has in the past. The, the one true God, if he would just turn to him. I don't think they know it in this moment, but Jonah would do that very thing in this moment. If, if Jonah would do that very thing in this moment, if Jonah would turn to God, if, if Jonah in that moment would have repented and said, I was wrong, I'm, I'm running away from God, God, I repent, what do you think would have happened? I think the sea would have become calm. But he didn't do that because he's still trying to run away from God. How often do we do that? You know, we know in our heads that we can't do that. We can never go anywhere without God being present with us, ever, yet we still somehow listen to the lie, we listen to the sinful deceit, we listen to our selfish, whatever it is that we want, and we do our own thing contrary to what God wants, which is actually better for us. 
thinking that somehow we're getting one by on God. I mean, Jonah has to still be in that place. I don't know what... This also kind of goes to, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it, it also kind of goes to Jonah's, in this moment in time, selfishness and lack of concern for other people. It would seem that he doesn't care that all of these pagan sailors die, not knowing the God, the real God. You see, God would unhurl the storm that he is hurling at the ship if Jonah would just repent and confess. And the sailors, along with Jonah, would be saved. God, God uses everyone to draw people unto himself, doesn't he? Everyone, even the pagans, even those unbelievers, even those people who have rejected the gospel in your life, God, can, God does and will use them in your life. That's what he's doing here. And he draws these pagans unto himself as well, even in the midst. His, his sovereignty is so amazing. We don't get to pick and choose, God does. Who are we to even think that we could or should anyway? So there's the pagan sailors. Next, um, that's from their point of view. Next, let's look at this situation from Jonah's perspective. Okay, we will call him the sleeping rebel. The sleeping rebel, instead of obeying God's command, doing God's will, Jonah found a ship that was sailing as far away from Nineveh as he could get. Maybe he thought this weight on his shoulders would be less the further away he got from the responsibility that God was calling him to. I don't know. But it's, it's, out and, it, it's rebellion. He is rebelling against God. He's not just dragging his feet. He's not just waiting around you know, in his home where he lived or in Joppa, hoping that that, you know, this is what I do when I get the urge to run or exercise. I just, I find a chair, I sit in it, and I wait till that urge goes away. <laughs> you know, I drag my feet all the time in that way. Jonah's not doing that. Jonah is actively going the other direction. And, and we need to recognize that that can happen in our life too. It's not just that we, we aren't paying attention or we're trying not to listen to God. The voice is kind of there and we, we hear it and it's like, nah, I don't want to hear that. La, 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 right? We plug our ears in and we don't want to hear it. It's, it's we, God, you want me to do this? No, nope, not going to do that. And we turn and we go the opposite direction and say, I'm not doing that. That's what Jonah does. He paid the fare and he went aboard. And unlike most people, when they, at least we do, every time we go on a cruise ship, we, we stow our stuff and then before the ship departs, we all run up top and we look out and wave goodbye to all the people and it's like, we're set and sail, here we go. Jonah didn't do that. He went deep in the ship. To the, he found the sleeping quarters and he goes to sleep. And in fact, in fact he fell into a deep sleep. And when, and when we're sleeping, we don't know what's going on, Right? He didn't know what was going on. And, and, and I mean, that's a, if, if he had to be rolling around in the bed, right? He didn't go to sleep and put a seatbelt on in, in four places so he was just like this in, in his cot. He had to be, uh, the, the captain had to be, how can you be sleeping? That's a deep sleep. He's making every attempt to flee the presence of God. He is in rebellion. And if this describes you and you know in your heart 
that you've been running from God, this is a moment in time, in your lifetime, in your timeline of life where God is saying to you, stop. Stop running from me. I'm giving you, I'm putting you in this place, I'm, I'm having you listen to this at this moment in time. If you are that person that's been rebelling and running from God, God is giving you an opportunity right now to save the ship. Stop running. Stop running. Stop running away from him. Turn and run back into his arms. God wants our attention, and he deserves not only our attention, but our obedience. And, and he will do everything, including hurling a storm at your life to get you to stop and turn and realize that you're running. You know, last week we saw that one thing God calls us to do is go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them in the things that Jesus has, had commanded that God has commanded. And, and if we're rebelling against that or simply trying to ignore the call of God to live our life before others in obedience, in faith, or we're, we're just trying to ignore it, it's time to wake up. I mean, we are, I don't know if it's, if it's the time. I, I don't know. As I always tell everyone that, that comes here normally, I believe that my time, my last breath, will come before the end time. I don't know if I'm right, I don't know if I'm wrong, but if I'm ready for my last breath, which I don't know when is gonna come, then I'm gonna be ready for that one when it does come, if it does come in my lifetime. And there are all kinds of people in your neighborhood, maybe even in your house, who have no saving grace in their life. They have not they have not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, and if they take their last breath, they're going to hell. Which is where these pagan sailors were going to go if Jonah doesn't eventually, finally, forced, fess up. It's time to wake up, which is exactly what the pagan captain does. The captain wakes Jonah up and tells him to call on his God, but Jonah, again, doesn't do that. Or we would hear it in the story. We would be given this information. We would have been told that Jonah woke up, realized what was happening, realized that he was disobeying God and he was rebelling against him and running away and got on his knees in the bottom of the ship and said, okay, God, I will go where you're calling me to go. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. A pagan trying to tell a child of God to cry out to the one true God. And the one guy on the ship that would actually be calling out to the one true God is instead trying to run away. And is the exact reason the ship is in trouble to begin with. I don't want to be that guy. I'm sure I have been at times. I don't want to be. I pray that you don't either. Pagans were pointing Jonah to the one true God unknowingly, but in this moment, in their fear and failure to see any other way of saving themselves, that is what they do. Well, Jonah doesn't do it. He continues to try and hide, doesn't say anything, is hoping probably that they forgot that he gave them a reason why he was on the ship in the first place. And I bet as soon as the sailors brought those rocks out and started casting lots, he was like, I'm done. I'm done. 
They get the lots out. And originally, uh, these lots were little stones, possibly shaped like dice, but no numbers. There were, there were dark sides and there were light sides. And they were used in pairs. And, and when people would cast lots, they would ask a question. You know, is, is Gail Carnahan the one who's supposed to cook me lunch today? Like a question like that. And they would roll, the, they would cast the rocks, and if they both ended up on the dark side, it would be a negative result. No, it's not Gail. Then they would move to the next person, and they would do the same thing. They would ask the question, and they would cast the lots. And if they uh, ended up both on the light-colored side, then it was a positive affirmation, yes, to the question. And, and I don't know, maybe if it ended up one, one light and one dark, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like that magic eight ball, maybe. Or some of those other things that would come up when, when you shake that. Um, don't do anything. And, and though the Bible doesn't prescribe the casting of lots, okay, especially for us, um, they are mentioned in the Bible several times. And actually, God does in the Old Testament prescribe the casting, casting of lots for, for the Israelites in a, in a few places. Um, when they were dividing up land under Joshua, God instructed them to cast lots to divide the land up. That's one of the things that he told them to do. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see God instructing the casting of lots to be used, instructing them to be used. They are used a couple times. The soldiers dividing up Jesus' clothes cast lots. Who's going to get his tunic? Throw the lots. Who's going to get whatever? Um, and there's... And then when the disciples were choosing Judas's replacement, they cast lots. They had like four or five different choices and they're like, oh, we don't know, let's cast lots. And in those times when God prescribed them to be cast, I envision him like, I don't know, like a Jedi, you know, the, the role is just about to flip over to the dark, but he wants it to stay light, so he just waves his hand a little bit and it stays, stays white. God, God would. It's obvious that, that God had a hand in this, right? Because you have pagan sailors casting lots and it points to Jonah. There's no luck like that in the world. God wanted that lot to be cast for Jonah. And it was. And then sometime later, um, lots became a, a, a game of chance. And that's what we have today. It's all a gamble. It's, it's all chance, dice. And there was no chance here. The lot fell to Jonah. And so the sailors turn to him and they start hurling questions at him. Who is responsible? What, what do you do? Where are you from? What country? What people? And Jonah answers with the truth. In verse nine, he, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. God made this. He's obviously the one that's in control of it. Verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. That's an interesting piece. I mean, that sounds like a line right out of a movie. Have you ever been watching a movie and, and, and you see a couple characters and, and they, uh, they know what's happened to this point? One character knows that the other character made some really bad decisions that led to this moment that they're in. 
and, and the explosion or whatever is about to happen and the one character turns to the other character and says out loud, what have you done? He already knew the answer to the question. <laughs> That's what's happening here. And in God's hurling of this storm, some of your translations actually use the word hurl, of this storm at the ship, it is continuing to get rougher. And I think it's, it's important right here, some commentators pointed it out, that we need to remember is that our sin and disobedience affects more than just us. My sin is not in a vacuum to myself. My disobedience affects other people. Oftentimes, people around us suffer too, and God doesn't spare these pagan sailors the consequences of Jonah's disobedience. In fact, it seems that he is willing to allow them all to perish, and without knowledge of God, if Jonah doesn't fess up. And to extent that and to extend that even further, that is exactly what Jonah is trying to do with his disobedience, because that's exactly what he wants for the Ninevites. You see, we're going we're gonna to find out in a few days, or a few Sundays, Jonah, you know, I talked about last Sunday how Jonah, uh, one of the reasons why he didn't want to go was possibly because he was afraid, and that may have been a, a part of his list of reasons not to go. But I think, and we find out at the end, the top reason on his list of why not to go is because that God just might not destroy them. And he wanted them destroyed. So he doesn't care who is destroyed in his disobedience. And we're finding that out with these very pagan sailors right here. Because if he really cared about other people and that other people know the one true God, he would have had a perfect opportunity here, and, and we, we will find that it does in fact happen. When the sea is calm, what do the pagans do? They turn to the one true God. He is not praying for his enemies as God instructs us to do. He despises them and he hates them. And we need to see that as a stark reminder of how do we treat our enemies? How do we treat our neighbors? How do we treat those who, who, who treat us not very well? You know, because doing to others as they do unto you is perfectly fine when it's the other person. But when it's me, on the receiving end of that, I don't like it. I mean, if I treat somebody badly, I want them to treat me like they would want to be treated, not like I just treated them. So since Jonah is the cause of all this, they ask him, what should we do to you to make the scene calm down for us? What should we do? And I think his next few words are telling. Look at what he says right there. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He doesn't even volunteer to jump in on his own. How long can this prophet of God go? He is putting his inevitable death on to the shoulders of the sailors that are going to throw him into the water. He got them into this mess, and he isn't even willing to do the one thing that would calm the sea, repent, because of his unwillingness to turn back towards God, though having them throw him into the sea may seem noble, I think it's rather selfish. Because in one way, he sees the end of his life, and he's not going to have to go to Nineveh. He's going to die. 
And number two, he's not the one killing himself. It's on the shoulders of these pagan sailors now. And he forces the hands of the sailors to do his dirty work for him. So what do the sailors do? Look at verse 13. These pagan sailors were not quick to grab him and throw him over the edge, were they? Nope, they grabbed the oars and said, we're not going to kill this man. And they rowed as hard as they could. They did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. God is not going to relent. He continues to hurl the storm at the ship. The pagan sailors continue to be the ones with a heart in this situation. They are the ones on the ship that fear God, the one true God. But it still wasn't working. God wasn't going to let Jonah off the hook despite the efforts of these pagan sailors. Verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord at the end of their ropes. Again, seasoned sailors, their ship is about to come from together to apart. Please, Lord, Yahweh, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Little do they know that he's actually not innocent, right? For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw that word through is the same Hebrew word that describes how God hurled the storm, how they hurled things over the side of the ship, and then they hurled him. I don't know, but there are probably other words that could have been used, but that's the same word. And the raging sea grew calm. Now, I'm thinking that if I were a pagan man and I saw this happen and this transpire, I too would believe. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, Yahweh, not just any God, the God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. Isn't, isn't God amazingly sovereign and amazingly full of grace? He doesn't want Jonah dead. He doesn't want the, the, the sailors dead. He, he, he doesn't want anyone to perish. We are told that in Scripture. And people certainly do. People every day take their last breath without having surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as their Savior. But in this case, despite the prophet's disobedience, pagan sailors are saved. Pagan sailors fear the Lord and believe, and they offer a sacrifice and make vows to him. Our God is such a patient and gracious God, isn't he? Over and over and over, I'm sure you, like I, can think of times in our lives where God was forgiving and gracious and merciful. I was stupid and selfish and prideful and thought I could do it on my own and, and attempted it, and yet when I turned back to him, there he was. You may be in the situation that you're in now because you were those things, stupid, selfish, angry, independent. And what you need to know is that, that, that God is right there waiting 
for you to repent of those and turn to him. I mean, we are told in 1 John 1, 9, right, that if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just. Just as God is faithful and gracious, he is also just, and that justice has been satisfied by him. And he forgives us our sins and he purifies us from all unrighteousness. And God knows that I need that every moment of every day. The more I learn of God's servants and prophets and all that we read in scripture, the more challenged I am and the more trust that I have for him, that that I just need to follow him. I just need to learn to say yes. I just need to learn to say, okay, God, I will. Experience the many blessings God gives me on a daily basis and accept his discipline when I need it. And, and that is so often. God, Jesus, my Savior, Holy Spirit, our God, three in one. One God. Thank you. God, help me, help us to be obedient to you. Thank you for being so patient and gracious to us. Help us to reflect that same patience and grace on others. On our enemies, on your enemies, God. And then verse 17, he is continuing to be gracious and patient with Jonah. Because in verse 17, it said he could have just let him sink to the bottom. But he didn't. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God saved Jonah, albeit in an unusual way. And people may think, wow, that's crazy. That couldn't have happened. There's no way. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Well, yeah, no. Honestly, no, it's not the craziest thing that we've ever heard of. He saved people um, in the desert with water coming from a rock when it was struck one time by a staff. Is that not crazy? He parted an entire sea so a whole nation could walk across it on dry land. He shut Noah and his family and all the animals up safely in a boat that he had Noah build in the middle of a desert. Noah didn't shut that door. We are told that God shut that door. No, that's, that's not natural. No, it's supernatural. And that's who our God is. He turned enemies. He caused the walls of Jericho to crumble after he told people to march around it. That's vicious. Let's go march around it. God's done crazy things before and he continues to do crazy things. He turned enemies on each other when Gideon and his few remaining, after God had whittled his army down to nothing, he conquered a whole army when they took covers off their torches and he saves us because Jesus, sinless, was three days dead in a tomb. And then resurrected and is alive today. And if you, you won't ever convince me that the three days and three nights that Jonah spent in the belly of a fish is somehow coincidental, the same number of days that Jesus stayed, it, no. 
No, that, that God, God, when he worked in all of these things, gave a sign to future generations of what this was going to look like. Look, even in our disobedience, even in Jonah's disobedience, God used that in his sovereignty to foreshadow the coming of the Savior of the planet. So when you think that you've screwed up too much and God can't use you, uh uh-uh. That's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. We just need to do the one thing that Jonah didn't for a while. Turn and follow God faithfully and obediently. God saved Jonah. God provided grace and mercy in a time of rebelliousness. And, and, and I, I pray that it doesn't take that kind of discipline for you and for me. I don't want to end up in the belly of anything. The belly of, of debt or, or moral depravity or... I don't want to end up in, the, in, in those kinds of bellies, but sometimes we have to get to the bottom of that barrel before we finally look up and look to God. Because he loves us, he does discipline us. Because he loves us, he does discipline us. He is gracious and patient. Mark 1.15 says, The time has come, Jesus said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So would you today repent and believe the good news? That Jesus paid a perfect sacrifice for you. That he conquered sin and death. He satisfied the justice of God because of that perfect sacrifice. John 4, 26, Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am God. He is the one by which we can be saved. John 3, 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that rebirth happens when we surrender and believe, when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Messiah. And then John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You want to be satisfied in life? You want to be content in life? Seek first the kingdom of God. It'll be weird, but you'll be content even though the, 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 the TV and the radio tells you that you're, you shouldn't be content because you don't have this or you don't have that or you don't have that. He quenches our thirst for life, our thirst for satisfaction. He is our light, our guide and direction. John eight twelve. when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's follow Jesus. What a wonderful Savior, our sovereign God, firmly on his throne and in control. We just need to hang on to him. And, and I have two action points for us this morning as we close. The first one is this. When God jumps, let's say how high. When God jumps, let's say how high. This is something that we can do. 
We can all trust him to move us in what is best for his kingdom and what is best for us in that order. And sometimes, like in the life of Job, that's a servant of his enduring something yucky. That happens to us too. Luke eleven twenty one, Jesus says, blessed, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. May we hear his word and may we obey it. May we pray for another that we will be bold and proclaim the gospel faithfully. May, we need to pray for one another in, in that, in the Great Commission. That's what Paul asked for. The, the greatest missionary probably, I don't know, he would probably, he denied that obviously, but I mean all of Asia from, from, Paul's, from Paul's ministry, this is what Paul, Paul said to the Ephesians, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And I think the only reason he's asking that is because he has felt fear. He wouldn't be saying, pray for me that I will fearlessly do this if he wasn't afraid. Even when Paul was in chains, he continued in the mission that God gave him. The Great Commission. Colossians, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, fearlessly and clearly. And the best way to preach it clearly is to testify to what God has done in your life. And, and one of the things that gives us the platform to be able to do that is living an obedient and consistent life. Not perfect, we can't do that. But when we do fail, turning and repenting. So when somebody says, oh yeah, but you did that, we can, we can genuinely and legitimately say, you know what, yeah, I did, and it was wrong. And this is the steps I took to reconcile and to seek and, and receive forgiveness from a holy God. We can't have those kind of conversations when we're running the other direction. When God says jump, may our responsibility be total May our response be total obedience. And may we also, number two, and these are under your additional notes, repent of disobedience and rebelliousness. Luke eleven twenty nine 29 through 32 says this. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. I mean, they're asking for a sign. Do something that's magic so that we'll believe they wanted. Um, and Jesus said that the, the generation is wicked because it asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is declaring, I am the Savior. Greater than Jonah. Even in Jonah's message, the, the nation, the Ninevites were saved. The Ninevites 
were saved because they repented. The generation that Jesus is talking to has not, and they were not if they didn't saved, if they didn't repent. See, we have to remember that God takes our sin and disobedience seriously. Our world is trying to justify and soften sin and disobedience and, and immorality and all kinds of things. And if we're not careful, we're like that frog in the, in the pot, cold pot of water that's getting hot. And we don't recognize it. We need to be aware. We need to be seeking the Lord and asking him, is there any wickedness in me? God, please help me see it. The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. And I already described what God had to do to make atonement for our sin. It was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a perfect sacrifice. I was having a conversation with someone this week about Jonah and how we're a lot like him, and he was exactly right when he said this, and I want to quote him. God does love to show his mercy and grace. Demands justice, yes, but loves to show his mercy and grace, then calls us to the same. Love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Now, I didn't finish that verse above, did I? For the wages of sin is death. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life. Yes, he demands obedience and faithfulness, but when we mess up, we, and we all do, his grace is sufficient for us. 1 John 1, 9 again. I thought I had it in here somewhere. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amazing, isn't it? God's grace is greater. It is greater. Let's stop running. Let's stop doing our own things. Let's all repent of our individualism and pride and self-sufficiency and surrender it all to Jesus at his feet. Let's repent of our lack of concern for other people around us. That's a big one, I think. And in Christ's forgiveness, share the love of Jesus with them. Let's pray for our enemies. Let's stop running. Let's stop running. Let's sit at Jesus' feet. And let's be obedient. So worship team comes up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for... God, how you work in history and how you've given us the book of Jonah and how you use the disobedience and the rebelliousness of, of another man to help us see with mirrors into our own lives. And, and I pray that, that your spirit, and I know your spirit has been working. Every one of us probably has received a different word and a different message from you here this morning. But I pray that whatever that message is, that we would not leave here and try and forget it, that it would become a part of who we are. It would become a part of our journey with you, that, that if we're running, we would turn and we would stop, that if we're, we're condoning sin, that we would stop, that we would recognize that, that, that you teach us what is right. We can see it in your scripture. Help us, too, to be concerned for that great city, for those people that we were around every day who don't know you. And may we seek opportunities to share the good news about our amazing Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.